This reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you very much, and thank you for the kind welcome once again to the Crescent. Let's uh, just keep your Bibles open in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and the topic, of course, is spiritual maturity. Uh, how do you measure spiritual maturity? We, how, how do you measure how much we have grown as a Christian? Like whenever a child grows, it's easy to measure their height in one sense, but actually measuring even a child's maturity is more difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, when they're meant to grow emotionally, psychologically more mature, but there are signs that that's happening. The child starts to seek more purpose than just playing with toys. They have less tantrums when they don't get their own way. They become better at relating to others, less self-centered, and learn to have decent conversations. Some of that's a bit worrying, to be honest, for some of us. But that is what is meant to happen as you mature. And there is some similarity with spotting spiritual maturity. In our passage today, Paul can see signs that these Corinthian Christians were still very immature. They were baby Christians for a few reasons. Number one, he couldn't talk to them as grown-ups. He couldn't hold a decent spiritual conversation with them on spiritual things. They, they had so little grasp on spiritual realities, he had to keep sticking to the basics. Like the way babies can't eat anything but milk for the first few months. After many years, these Christians were still on spiritual milk. And this doesn't mean they didn't know many of Bible passages. You know, from, from actually chapter 10 of this epistle, it seems like they knew quite a bit of the Bible. It just hadn't really sunk in to change their outlook, the way they saw life. Oh, that was one, one sign. The second one is that they were f- jealous and fighting with each other, like children squabbling over who is the best. And a third thing is that they were dividing into these groups associated with their, f- their most favorite preachers, like Paul or Apollos. Some were saying, I, I follow Paul, and others were saying, I follow Apollos. And it's like children obsessed with their favorite footballers or pop stars and fighting over who was the best. And some of them liked Paul because he was deep. Others preferred Apollos because he was a better speaker. And this was normal in their culture. The ancient Greeks, you know, they loved speakers who traveled from city to city, and everyone chose their favorite and followed him. 
and joined his team in a sense. So this was normal, but Paul saw in this behavior again spiritual immaturity. Okay, so there's three signs. One was he couldn't speak to them as grown-ups. Two was there was fighting, and three was they were dividing up into these groups. Now imagine we brought Paul to Belfast 2024 to check out our spiritual maturity, see for any signs of immaturity. Imagine trying to explain to him why we're so divided into so many different denominations and churches, and we all have these labels and names based on our favorite doctrines and practices. There is a danger then that he might start to try to hold a decent spiritual conversation with us and realize that we have no real grasp of what he's talking about. Even those of us who know quite a bit of Bible, and hopefully we will avoid and find out about some of the squabbles that go on still in our churches. You know, it can be hard to measure, but there are clear signs, right? <laughs> there are clear signs. And what a great ambition for us if we make a decision right now to seek to genuinely mature as Christians more than ever before. So let's just read our passage again. It's a short passage, so let's read it again and think about what Paul is saying to us here as to what the signs of, of maturity and immaturity are and how we might possibly mature. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready for it, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul spends four chapters, right? Four chapters arguing why the Corinthians should not be dividing into groups called after the name of their favorite preachers. He's still going on about this in chapter 4. He has already covered a few reasons, important reasons why we shouldn't do this in chapters 1 and 2. Number 1, it's an offense to Christ. This is from chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. For us to take any other name apart from Christ is offensive to the one who gave himself for us that we might belong solely to him. And in the rest of chapter 1, he shows it also goes against God's deliberate strategy in the gospel. God has designed our salvation in such a way to break our natural trust in ourselves and humans so that we might put our trust in, our boast, our confidence in God alone. So we're meant to call ourselves after Christ's name alone. We're meant to put our confidence in God alone. And now these Corinthian Christians were putting their trust in the human teachers once again. And now we come to the third reason why we shouldn't divide into groups. It prevents our maturity. 
It was keeping them as infants in Christ. Now, why is that? In what way does this dividing into groups having such an impact on their actual growth? Well, we have to see how God had arranged for their growth to come about. And he explains to us here in this chapter. This is what God did. First of all, he sent Paul to plant the church. He, God led Paul to Corinth in order to plant this church, to preach the gospel and start to establish these Christians in the truth of the gospel. And then God actually brought Paul away from Corinth to somewhere else, and he brought a man called Apollos to Corinth, right? Another teacher who was to water what Paul had planted, water the seed, right? So in, the, in another analogy, Apollos was to build upon the foundation that Paul had built. And this church is described as God's field, God's building that he's trying to grow, that he's trying to build. And men like Paul and Apollos are God's servants. Who then is Apollos? Who is Paul? We're just servants. That the Lord assigns to each one, he, he directs each one to go here, to go there. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And you see, he, Paul's explained that we, that him and Apollos are just servants of God, willing to go wherever he sends us. And God sent us both to Corinth at different times, for different re, for, at the right time, just like builders come across a, across a building project at the right time, the right builders turn up at the right point, the roofer comes whenever it's ready for the roof or whatever. So God had brought these men to Corinth at the right time in order for these Christians to grow and have the best opportunity to become mature, and they hadn't. And we need to see why. And one reason was they were missing the entire benefit because they were choosing their favorites. The one in Paul's group was missing all the benefit of Apollos because he wouldn't listen to Apollos, right? The ones in Apollos' group, wouldn't listen, they weren't taking Paul seriously. And this was normal in their culture. As we've said, these traveling philosophers would come to Corinth and they would choose this one or this one. But but God is saying that is not how the church works. You know, it's a bit like children going to school and only going to the class of their favorite teacher and not listening to any other class. How is their education going to go? And, you know, unfortunately for us, there's an even greater danger of this nowadays because our social media algorithms just keep feeding us whatever we like. We listen to the people that we already agree with. You know, and, and it just confirms us in the little narrow views that we have sometimes. And those who like Paul's theology could have done with some more of Apollos' fine preaching. And those who find Apollos easier to listen could have done with thinking a bit more along with Paul. In order to mature, we need to have a varied diet. And I am not sure what Paul would think of our consumeristic mindset nowadays. We choose the church we like with the preaching we like. We avoid anything we don't want to hear. He might tell us we would be much wiser if we let God lead our spiritual education. Now, no doubt the churches in the West, you know, growth has actually been massively hampered through our many divisions and denominations. 
You know, so many Christians, and even in our culture, only benefit from one or two preachers and perhaps become overly dependent on them. And maybe we would be better to give God more freedom over his servants and let God choose where he wants to lead them, at what time, in order to bring about the maturity of his church, give God back the control of his entire church. Like, us humans have taken such control over the church. We've caused so much organization, and God now has to work within our boundaries. And he is saying, you're restricting the possibility you have to actually really grow in God. And many of our systems and ways of organizing ourselves, it's, they seem sensible, they seem pragmatic solutions to us, but they can actually undermine what God wants to do whenever we take control. And Paul's challenge here is, look at what he says at the end of this. Are you not being merely human? He means, are you not following natural human wisdom, the wisdom of man, that God has already proven to be foolishness through the cross? Remember that verse in chapter one, his foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. And we'd be better to actually trust God and obey his ways in the Bible instead of thinking we know how to do this better. So number one reason why they're still immature is because they were, you know, restricting themselves to a narrow world and a restricted diet and only listening to their favorite preacher. But this had, but there was an even deeper reason for their immaturity. And it was actually the same cause they're dividing into groups was causing them to trust in man rather than God. And just before this, in chapter two, Paul's explained that the only way that it is possible to truly understand spiritual things is through God's spirit. Look at what he says here in chapter two, verses nine to 10. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, man can't even Imagine the truth God has prepared for those who loved him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And look at what he says later in verse 12. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This is why God gives us the Holy Spirit. To understand spiritual things. And by forming these groups around men and calling themselves after men, these Christians were looking to men, putting their trust in men, and not learning to depend on God and his spirit for understanding. And no wonder they were remaining spiritually immature. Look at what Paul says. It is only God who can give the growth. Yes, you know, I can plant, Apollos can water, but only God can truly bring the growth. And we all need to watch ourselves. It is so easy to find a particular speaker more helpful than others. I myself have been greatly helped by a man called Professor Gooding. And when I get stuck in a passage in the Bible, I go immediately to Myrtlefield House website and search up to see if there's anything on that passage. That's what we humans do, don't we? We just look to man so naturally. And perhaps it was God's wisdom that I actually met Professor Gooding way later in life and that there's so many books in the Bible which he has no help on whatsoever, right? Because it forces me to actually look to God. 
for understanding. We humans only rely on God as a last resort. And there's this lovely balance in this passage, isn't there? It teaches us to appreciate all of God's servants, but not to rely on them. You know, faithful preachers and teachers are to be recognized as gifts from God. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Like, God, God brought me to Corinth. God brought Apollos to Corinth. Appreciate us both as gifts from God. And, and he then moved us on and brought somebody else to lead you guys further in your faith. But do you not see that it's God behind all of this? God is the one who's in charge of the harvest. And he deliberately uses different men at different places at different times. But because of our human tendency to look to men and rely on men instead of God, perhaps God also moved these men along. He didn't keep Paul there for too long, lest they rely too much on Paul. To stop these Christians becoming so you know, focused on the person standing in front of them and not seeing the God that stands behind that person. So God moved them on, but to no avail. That's exactly what these Corinthians were doing. They were getting obsessed with the people. And that's exactly what many still do today. They look to one man or woman, their favorite, as the only one they need instead of looking to God. And we should appreciate all the preachers and teachers that God brings us, but also recognize that these men don't bring any, or women don't bring any real growth. It's only God working through them. They might teach the Bible well, but the real growth happens when the Spirit of God works in our hearts to bring a deeper understanding of that truth that is being taught to us. You know, Paul had been there for a year and a half, Apollos for some more time, and these Christians had great privilege, great teachers, and yet none of it had the impact it should have had, and they were still babies because they were only focused on the man. What did you think of that talk today? I like that guy's style more than that guy's. He's more entertaining. He has better stories. They were just coming and going, learning stuff. They maybe had, they had certainly learned more of the Bible but they were not looking to God for the understanding of what was being taught. And it's so natural for us humans to focus on the externals and miss the reality behind it. And even more so in our culture of entertainment where the aesthetic is everything. In our churches, we need to work harder than ever to teach the generations to come that church is for God, not for us. We need to recreate a sense that we're coming to meet God. We're not coming just to see a show. Church should teach us to trust in God, not man. We should come away from church with a deeper dependence on him. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, the perfect church service would be one we are almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. And the Corinthians had some of the most gifted and faithful servants of God that have ever lived who did their best to teach God's word and point these Christians to God, but the Corinthians were still immature because their attention was focused on the man standing in front of them and didn't see the God behind that. And when Paul says he could not address them as spiritual, he doesn't mean that they didn't know their Bibles. He means that the truth that they had been taught had never really penetrated their hearts through the Holy Spirit. So here is how we grow as Christians. 
We don't need to find the greatest Bible teachers. We need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit like never before. Your Bible teachers, of course, can help explain a passage. And we should all look out for faithful teachers who do that well. Not those who draw attention to themselves, but for true growth. Even then, what we really need is God's Spirit to apply the truth that we are taught into our hearts, to change our entire psyche, our thinking, the way we see the world, so that these truths become real. And that can only happen through the Spirit of God, no matter how good the Bible teacher is. Do you see what Paul is saying? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. Christian truth is not just Bible knowledge. It is living, transformative power through the Spirit. And this is about where we're looking and what we're depending and trusting. Imagine two Christians, right? Imagine two Christians that come to the same church. They both attend the same attend the same church week by week, and one only sees the externals, the music, the experience. They come faithfully. They maybe learn a good bit of the Bible over the years, and the other comes to meet God. They pray for the speaker, every speaker. Their favorites are not their favorites, right? They pray to understand the passage. They seek to be changed by the passage, They meditate on the message afterwards and ask God, what did that really mean? In a few years, you know, these two people have attended the same church. One is focused on the external. One is seeing behind it to the God who has arranged it all. And in a few years, there will be a massive difference in spiritual maturity. They both had the same experiences. They both heard the same teaching but one has come to understand it on another level. One understands the need for more than knowledge and keeps looking to God for heart change. I love the way this chapter ends here. Paul says, so let no one boast or put their confidence in men. He says, for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas as Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. And these Christians were fighting like children. They were trying their best to be better than others, to be in the best preacher's team. My guy is better than your guy. And Paul explains here that even though they're fighting like children, they're not even normal children. These are God's children, right? All are yours. These Christians are prince and princesses. They are heirs to the entire universe. Look, all are yours. You guys are going to inherit everything, including Paul and Apollos. (laughs) We're all only here for your sake. You know what this is like? It's like the royal children, you know, whatever you call them, Prince George, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis. Had to look that up. You know, they're, they're forming teams, you know, in their little house. I, I'm on the butler's team, and the butler is far better than the gardener. And the other one's on the gardener's team, and this one's on the cook's team. And they're all fighting with each other about who is better, the butler, the gardener, the cook, or whatever. And Paul is like, my goodness. Well, their dad, Kate, and... William would be, oh, children, like these are servants. 
You guys are the future, right? You're the prince and princesses. You're going to inherit everything. Why are you fighting and trying to be better than your brothers and sisters? You know, Paul, you know, William and Kate might put up with it, this nonsense in the hope that one day they will be mature enough to appreciate their great inheritance, their great future, and respect all of the servants that have been provided to them to bring them up, to prepare them for that future. And stop feeling the need to fight for their place in this world. And this is how to recognize those who are spiritually mature. It's Christians with a deep sense of the wealth and glory of God. And for that, we need more than good preachers. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to our riches in Christ. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit did. Did you notice in those passages that we just read earlier what the Holy Spirit is focused on opening our eyes to? Back again in chapter 2. Let's read again this passage. And notice what it is the Holy Spirit is trying to open our eyes to. What he's trying to get us to see. This is chapter 2 verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Do you see what the Spirit is trying to teach us? Two things. These things. The things that, the future that God has prepared for us the Spirit is trying to open our eyes to. And the things that have been freely given us of God. See, Corinth was a very competitive city. People were obsessed with obtaining a higher social status. It was dog eat dog, fight your way to the top. And those in the lower social spheres were, you know, were obsessed with this. And they put their lot in with philosophers and politicians in the hope that these guys would make it and they would be part of the group. <laughs> you know, they would, they would bring, bring them up a few rungs in the ladder. And they looked for someone talented in speaking and invested in them and trusted in them and gave them their patronage, their support, and became a patron, a supporter. And Paul sees the same thinking is entering the church. And every member is selecting their favorite preacher and putting their trust in them in the hope that they can be a little bit better than the others. And Paul recognizes in all of this the saddest reason of all for their spiritual immaturity is a sense of spiritual poverty. So yes, they're forming in the group was given them a narrow world of restricted diet. It was put in their trust in men, and it was all out of a sense of spiritual poverty. And these dear Christians had no concept of their riches in Christ. They had maybe heard it taught many times, as have we, but it didn't seem very real, not compared with some riches and social status now in Corinth. And God was attempting to prepare them for that future and they were hampering their growth in their obsession with some temporal success. Now it's easy to give the Corinthians a hard time, in fairness, we all do. But they have finished their education. 
and they have graduated to glory, and we are the new pupils, the new students, and we have much more privilege than they have. They had privileges, but we have the entire New Testament. We have hundreds of years of Christian heritage. And some of us, just like them, have been in spiritual primary school for a long, long time. And spiritual maturity is hard to measure, but there can be clear signs that we are not yet ready even for big school. And the signs of immaturity that Paul brings it for us is a self-centered, consumeristic attitude where we only listen to the Christian teachers we like. It can leave us very unchallenged and very immature. And also, a focus on the aesthetic, just, just the feelings, what's in front of us whenever we come to church. The service, the music, the style, the personality of the speaker. And no ability to see behind these things to the God who is behind it all. And a competitive spirit. This jealousy and fighting with our fellow Christians. This need to be right, to be on the right team, the right denomination, with the right beliefs. That all indicates we're very insecure about our future. And we need a sense to, you know, we have this sense that we need to win in life now. And on the other hand, the signs of Christian maturity are just as evident. In general, a grateful attitude to all of God's servants and all that God is doing for us. And a desire to learn all we can from every one of them. And a mature believer does not see life at the merely human level. They see God at work behind all of the circumstances, even in their own life. They don't just listen to the teaching, they speak to God about it. They meditate on it and ultimately look to God to really understand these things. And it's all out of a profound sense of security. That our glorious future is is secure because of Christ. We don't need to prove ourselves. We don't need to be right. We don't need to even make it in this world. We don't need to be better than our brothers and sisters, better than anybody. We don't need to be in the right team, the right denomination. We don't need to know the Bible even better than other people. The mature have no need to prove how mature they are. It's children who have to act like grown-ups. You know, we can't really teach create true growth. Only God can. Look, God gave the growth. So, so, but we can. We can help in that. If we don't just forget all of this, all that we're taught, as soon as, as, soon as I pray, if we want to really grow, then talk to God about these things. Think on them and look to Him to be at work in us all through His Spirit. We look to God to make these truths real to us so that we become more secure in our glorious future as that is the only way we will really grow. And let us pray for that just now. Father, we do thank you for your work in our life, Lord, and your arrangement even of how you're at work behind the scenes to bring about true growth in us, in all of us. Lord, your kindness to us is astounding, but we just miss it so easily. We don't see your arrangements in bringing the right influences at the right time into our life and leading us to churches which teach the Bible faithfully and giving us so much Christian heritage and opportunity in order to grow, Lord, so much potential to learn the truth. Lord, help us 
not to get too focused on the externals and miss the, the, the great God that is behind all of these things. And help us, help us even the things that we learn not to just brush off us and us forget them so easily, but to come to you with them and ask you to drive these truths deep into our hearts through your spirit, to open our eyes to our future, to who we really are in Christ. Kings and queens, prince and princesses of the entire universe. Lord, these, these truths amaze us, but they do seem sometimes just theoretical. Lord, we pray that they would become more real and that we would get more a sense of our spiritual riches and become more secure in you and not feel the need to be right, not feel the need to compete and be jealous and fight. Lord, that we would all grow up because your Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts and we ask it in his name, amen.